I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, two guests this week, one topic. Uh, these guys are terrific. Uh, I, you know, if we can figure out a way to have them back again, I will absolutely do that. Brian Curtis is an editor at large for The Ringer. Bet you can also find him on his podcast, The Press Box. Ben Strauss is a sports media writer and reporter for The Washington Post. And we go pretty deep, sports media nerd deep, into Pat McAfee and his show coming to ESPN. If you didn't see the announcement, ESPN um, has entered business with uh, Pat McAfee and his company, the Pat McAfee Show. We'll air live weekdays on ESPN, the ESPN YouTube channel, the ESPN app, and ESPN Plus. McAfee will continue his uh, role with Game Day and still do alternate presentations as part of uh, Omaha Productions. And we pretty much get into everything you might think about in this transaction in terms of what we think about it, big picture, um, how it came about, um, what it means for McAfee, what it means for ESPN, the um, what morale I- exists right now at ESPN as they go through layoffs um, with also this other sort of component. They're doing significant business by bringing Pat McAfee in. And we also get into, obviously, uh, what this means sort of big picture in terms of uh, Jimmy Pitar really, really going for a bit of a star system here, and what does that mean for everybody else who's sort of not been deemed a star? So, 40 minutes uh, with uh, Brian Curtis of The Ringer and Ben Strauss of The Washington Post coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very excited to have um, these two guests. Uh, the three of us have never done a podcast before, so that this hopefully can be pretty fun and interesting. Brian Curtis has been on this podcast before. He is, of course, uh, The Ringer's editor-at-large, um, has been writing sports media and media for a long time, really one of the elegant writers when it comes to the space. Ben Strauss, sports media reporter for The Washington Post, um, often uh, when it comes to uh, long-form profiles in the sports media, he creates uh, a lot of chatter. Part of the chatter in class, Ben. I know that's... A, that's a, I will give you that designation, which I know New York Times and Washington Post writers seem to love. Pleased to be joined by Brian Curtis and Ben Strauss. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. Happy to uh, be here. I'll put, I'll take out my chattering class membership card. I'll show it to you after the podcast. All right, it's you're the closest I'll ever get to a Pulitzer, uh, Ben, being on uh, the, this, this podcast with you. All right, um, this, as I told you guys is a singular topic, and it's Pat McAfee to ESPN. For those of you um, who are not aware, although if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know how you're not aware, but Pat McAfee is moving his base of operations to ESPN. Um, The Pat McAfee show will air live weekdays on ESPN, uh, ESPN's YouTube channel, ESPN's app, ESPN+. He'll continue his analyst role 
on ESPN's College Game Day. He also um, has a contract with um, Peyton Manning's company, Omaha Productions, and so he'll host alternative presentations of college football telecasts. I don't think any of us actually know what is inside Pac McAfee's contract, but you could also make the presumption you will see him on SportsCenter. You may see him on some other ESPN entities because this is sort of what ESPN does. Um, it's a very, very seismic move because Pat McAfee has become uh, really one of the signature faces in sports media, at least front-facing uh, faces, and that's why I wanted to get Brian and Ben on to talk about him. Both wrote pieces on him. You can find Brian's in The Ringer and Ben's in The Washington Post. I want to start with you, Brian. Um, let's just sort of go very, very big picture here. How did you view McAfee bringing his, uh, his, his, his operation to ESPN? It's a classic Jimmy Pataro free agent acquisition and really speaks to Pataro's approach to roster building at ESPN, which is go find somebody who's really famous, give them a contract at the top of the market or that resets the top of the market, and then put them on ESPN, not just for an hour or even two hours, but basically throughout the broadcast day. So that eventually you get to this vision of ESPN where you have people who are doing huge, a very tiny number of people who are doing huge chunks of ESPN programming. As McAfee said in his announcement, it's going to go greeny to Stephen A to McAfee. I don't know if we know exactly how many hours McAfee is going to be on E1, but we're talking already there, six, seven hours of programming by three people. And then they're going to come back, as we've seen with Greeny and Stephen A this week in primetime and do more stuff and do more stuff on the app. So to me, that that is the vision. And of course, all that's happening is layoffs are happening at ESPN. ESPN is cutting people who are at the middle or bottom of the roster pay-wise for these stars. We, uh, we're going to get to the optics on that, if that's the right word. Um, ben, um, you know, in your piece, you talked about McAfee's cross-platform ability. And what Brian just mentioned is obviously something that's very important to Jamie Pitaro. And that's someone who can eat up a lot of inventory, a lot of hours. You know, they have a lot of have a lot of platforms now that they have to fulfill. And you're now getting Pat McAfee and his group to fill up a significant number of daytime hours on all these different platforms. So when you learned of this um, this move, and again, this has sort of been telegraphed, I think, now for a little bit that that ESPN had a real chance to bring him in. What were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I think uh, Brian's right. It's it's uh, very Jimmy Pitaro. But I think I, I think that there's there's sort of um, something else that 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 Pitaro looks for. He talks about fans all the time in a way that that you know the combination of fans and metrics and you know sort of you talk about this world of like who sort of people at the top and I think he looks you can you know see exactly how big somebody's audience is today on digital, on social, on, you know, in ways that you didn't used to be able to see before. And I think that that's probably true in, in all places in media today more than it used to be. I mean, the, the New York Times is trying to figure out how to keep their star reporters because they could go to Puck, you know, they could go to Politico for, you know, more money to be columnists. And I think sort of like in this sub-stackified world, the people at the top have realized they're more valuable. They can up and take their audience, you know, to more places. And Pitaro is happy to pay for that. But but I think so, you know, you have the top of the market um, that has become more valuable at the same time. The middle of the market has become 
less valuable, I think, in in most decision makers' eyes. And then then also sort of McAfee being a guy who's like really fan centric and and sort of has a connection to a sub group sizable group of of fans that that Pitara wants. Yeah, if I was on Brian Curtis's podcast, we would we'd be mentioning the Messenger right now. Love to get into <laughs> chat about that with you. Brian. Um, so you know, one of the things that has been interesting to me, and I wondered, I'd be curious for both of you. Uh, certainly, uh, you Ben would be really interesting, just given the Washington Post metrics. But what I have found in the limited times I've wrote about Pat McAfee, and and I I don't know if it's honestly more than four or five times at this point in terms of like what I would consider like a piece of something, not just like a tweet or anything like that. I have noticed, Brian, that the metrics at my place, the page views, the subs, they're significant. Like he pops and it reminds me a little bit of your current boss when anything you wrote about Bill Simmons at a certain point of time, like popped. If you go before Bill Simmons, um, you know, and the honesty is like, I mean, my old colleague, Jimmy Train, obviously certainly maybe was the leader on this. There was a time that anything written about Aaron Andrews essentially was like a page views phenomenon. I don't know if you got like your numbers already from your McAfee piece, but I have to be honest with you. Like when I wrote uh, an end of the year piece on him, sort of naming him like the athletic sports media figure of the year, I, I was very surprised at how many people read that piece. Like, and how much traction it got on social, like stunningly surprised. But now maybe I shouldn't have just given all these transactions. Like what have you found about his popularity? Because I think Pataro, at least in one sense, I think has nailed it. Like I do think this guy has a lot of appeal um, in a lot of different places. I was just going to say the moment to me that that stuck out was uh, two WrestleManias ago when I was sitting uh, in uh, AT&T Stadium in in Arlington, Texas with the masked man, David Shoemaker, and Pat McAfee came down the aisle uh, to wrestle a match. Now, this is not media in the conventional sense of the word, (laughs) but that stadium was as electric. This is is 90,000 people just went completely bananas. And that is not something that, you know, any of the people who are normally reside in our three columns, I think, would exactly get. I mean, so what you're talking about is not just this big following through the YouTube show and through the podcast. You're talking about touching all these different worlds, right? It's wrestling. It's barstool. It's college football now. Just this huge sort of mass of people that you're right. We'll follow him anywhere. We'll read an article by somebody like us about him. Um, and yeah, that's certainly part of the appeal. What about you, Ben? Maybe I should write about him more. I haven't written very much about Pat McAfee, <laughs> so I can't, uh, I can't speak to the, um, sort of like the digital popularity, but, but I think what is his YouTube channel is like 2.2 million followers. And I was just sort of curious out of, yeah, I looked in and the Levitard show, um, which I think very, very different sensibilities, but you sort of get this, like, we're not going to be a bunch of guys sitting around in suits at a table content on ESPN that they lost with Levitard. And now they have back again with these guys, but, but they're in the hundreds of thousands. So, I mean, like that's with a grain of salt, um, whatever you want. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's a lot of followers on, on YouTube. And I mean, McAfee's show it sort of dovetails with the the NFL and the way that that they want to cover the NFL. I mean, his Aaron Rodgers interviews were, you know, during the season were some of the most newsmaking 
enterprises of, of an entire NFL season. Every week he'd go on and, you know, he'd talk about COVID and he'd talk about, you know, the, the COVID treatments. And he, you know, it was, it was like, I mean, it was, it was must listen to, like, I don't know if it was riveting, but it was, it was news. Um, I think like he announced his darkness retreat on Pat McAfee's show. And he announced that he was going to the jets on Pat McAfee's show. And so, Obviously, ESPN likes when it can make the news and cover the news and sort of contain the news cycle within all of ESPN's platforms. But um, like he's made a lot of news on that show. It's, you know, he's not a journalist and he'd be the first to say that, but he really has had a lot of newsmaking moments because of obviously in particular. Maybe in spite of the, the fact that or because of the fact that he's not a journalist. Well, Aaron Rodgers is not going on the Brian Curtis or Richard Deitch show. So, like, the reality is you're getting the access because of Pat McAfee's relationship to Aaron Rodgers. I want to ask you something, Brian, because this um, – by the way, you look like you wanted to say something. Uh, if you do, please do. Please do. Well, I, I would just say I think, you know, it's funny because he is not a, a reporter with a capital R, a journalist with a capital J, but he's very, very savvy about the media. And I think that's probably an underrated aspect of him. I'll go on Twitter on a morning when the number one story in sports is some live golf thing, which we can agree is probably not right in Pat's wheelhouse topic wise. And there is a Pat McAfee segment on live golf being pushed out five minutes, right? Every freaking time. So there's, I think there's great programming intelligence behind that show where it's like, yeah, we're going to talk football. We're going to do Pat stuff. We're going to have all this fun, but we're also going to hit these content marks that we need to hit. And make sure that we are talking about all the things that are at the top of the trending topics list and making that part of our show. And it's it's not to me. It's funny. We're, I'm sure we'll get into this whole thing of like, how's he going to fit inside ESPN? But and I know he's saying this announcement, we're not doing A block, B block, C block. I kind of think he's already doing that. And I think he already really understands how to get attention for that show. Yeah, and that's usually a, uh, also a shout out to the people who are working alongside him. Ty Schmidt is producer and people like that. Like they they have a real sense of digital media, um, and there's a reason why they're at, they're where they are. I want to stick with you, Brian, and then Ben, you should definitely follow up. Um, one of the things that McAfee has seen, at least on places like Twitter, you know, is a little bit of blowback. Like you're you've sold out. You know, you've gone to them. Um, from my perspective. Like, this wasn't even a decision. If ESPN comes to you and says, we're going to pay you, by the way, either equivalent or more than what FanDuel did. Like, trust me, that number is a significant eight-figure number. It's not a small eight-figure number. So the money is the same or better. ESPN provides you with incredible distribution and incredible support, probably the best in the entire industry. So now they take away a lot of what is challenging for an individual um, company to have. And you're 36 years old. So like if it doesn't work out, oh, well, I'm going to walk away at 41 with generational wealth for not just me, but I probably set up all my buddies who are on the show as millionaires. Like what was the decision? Like, like there's no decision. Like he had to do it. The only downside is, yeah, he's got to deal with, I think, now some people who believe you've sold out to ESPN or you're just, you know, you're going to become one of those woke Disney loving folks, Pat. Like, so this leads me into Brian, like, will ESPN change McAfee? And 
I don't think you pay that much money unless you're paying for what he is. And in terms of the change, and this is where I think you'd really be interesting, he's not a political person at all. The only thing he does on that show that's risque is curse and bro it up a little bit, right? That guy has never gone down third rail issues like whatever your third rail issue is of the day. It's just not him. So I think in terms of downside risk, especially for the McAfee group, I, I don't think there's any. I think you sign this thing and you roll. I totally agree with you. I think, you know, it's completely different than a Lebetard thing where it, like he just doesn't have interest in that kind of stuff. He's not going to make ESPN mad because he's talking about that kind of stuff. Um, and I'd say the other thing about him that's just so notable is his adaptability to his surroundings. If you watch him on WWE calling matches, he doesn't go in and be like, my job here is to be Pat McAfee and to put myself over. No, no, no. It's to learn the storylines, to execute what was then Vince McMahon's vision and put over the wrestlers I need to do, to, uh, to work within that environment and be a heel commentator. If you watch him on game day this last year, to me, that was so fascinating because here he is sitting right in the middle of the desk and going, I need to genuflect before Coach Corso right now. I need to let Herbie take care of this right now. It was all about figuring out what my place in this universe is. He's very, very, very smart about that. So I think he'll go into ESPN with the whole idea of how do I fit into the Disney? How do I fit into this network? But also, how do I preserve enough of myself that my fans aren't going to think I'm different? 100%. He, the guy is not going to be doing the news of the day and honestly be discussing race relations or the debt ceiling and stuff like that. It's just not what he does. Um, <laughs> is anybody going to really discuss the debt ceiling on ESPN? Yeah, it's not the, be, not the best example by me. Only on ben, No Mercy. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, Ben, what about, what about, from, what about from your perspective? Um, how do you see him fitting into the ecosystem? Because I, I think Brian just spelled it out really, really smartly. The guy has shown the ability to fit into any situation that he walks into. And if you talk to the people he works with, as I have, they, they, they just say nothing but great things about him. They say he's a great teammate. He, he's, he's willing to work and do anything. So I think if I, I just think that's a non-issue at all. How do you see it? Yeah. I, 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 I he's not trying to talk about the 20, uh, 24 election. I guess the one thing is sort of, you know, from that fan base, right. That's sort of the barstool roots is like, if the NFL does something stupid or Roger Goodell does something stupid, that's like, right. Like how yeah, is how there like some sort good. of like tap dance there? Like I, that's probably the only situation where you'd be like, Oh, like how is Pat going to handle it? Right. Otherwise. What about if Aaron Rodgers says something that's really controversial, right? Right. Um, but like in terms of day to day or sort of like some of the other third rail things, you know, ESPN has dealt with, I don't, I think that he's okay. Um, and I don't think you pay him, you sign him, you know, to, to change him. I think you want to embrace and to let him be as much of himself as you can be. And I think ESPN, right. Like, the, the Patero era, you know, in addition, in a different era, would Stephen A. Smith get to do a politics podcast where he's like talking to Sean Hannity? <laughs> I mean, like ESPN has changed the rules too, right? Like not only are they paying some of these guys mountains of money, but like they can do whatever they want, um, you know, to a large degree. Um, and so I think ESPN has probably changed too. And, and McAfee now fits into that, um, you know, same booth. I guess like the one, the other question I have is sort of other media companies have, you know, been very excited to get into business with Pat McAfee, rightly so. Um, and they've been short deals or, or they've, they've ended. And, you know, um, 
I wonder if I don't think it's content wise, but can can ESPN just keep him happy in general because he's big enough and he's good enough that, you know, someone else will always offer him a very big, very generous deal. He can take that show, take that audience. You know, he built it himself. He doesn't need ESPN. Um, And so can they just keep him happy in general across the totality of that deal um, in ways that, that other media companies seem to have been unable to keep him happy? I thought I thought one of the most interesting things he said at the upfront was, "I want to harness the power of the crumbling cable bundle while it's still around." That's the one thing I don't have, which is a very, very interesting way to put it. Like, you know, I have YouTube, right? I have that whole online barstool universe thing. I have WWE, but you can put me on E1 while E1 is still a thing in this universe, and I can be blasted out to the world that way. Cool. So. Yeah, did, did I, he said it or somebody else, right? Like I can be on in every bar and airport uh-huh. in America. Like that's that's a big deal. Do you think, Brian, that you know it's one thing for McAfee to do what he's doing now, thirty six, thirty seven years old? He still um, can connect in some ways, right, with a college student. To me, he's he's not he's not sixty. You know, he's not. Um, uh, I, you know, name your, I don't want to sort of be pejorative for anybody, but he's not ever, he's not going to be looked at right now as old, the old guy in the room with the backwards hat trying to be cool. I do wonder though, can he, is there a shelf life in your opinion with what he's doing and will he have to navigate or change when he's in his mid forties or late forties? Cause I do wonder if you can still pull that off. Um, once you're past a certain age in terms of the generations of people who are watching you. And without knowing the data, I think it's logical to guess that I think McAfee's probably sweet spot audience is probably 18 to 35 male. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen A is kind of an interesting test case here because I think we probably would all agree that he's pretty much been Stephen A now for more than a decade on ESPN, no matter what, how old he is or how long he's been on the network. I guess there's kind of an interesting question of like, is there a second act? Because everybody who does the same thing for a long time that wants to kind of do something else, Stephen A wants to be a talk show host or uh, doing George Santos, uh, you know, bits on his non-ESPN pod. So I don't know. I'm, I think ESPN, to your point, will just have lots of things to offer him, right? I mean, this is a guy who was basically lobbying publicly to be in the Monday night football booth. You know, now you can figure out a way for him to do something. If not exactly that, since that seems to be spoken for, then you just got a lot of stuff for him to do. And if he wants to play in the sandbox, why not? Ben, let me ask you about the um, that this is coming at the same time of layoffs. I remember I've been to an upfront in a little bit. Um, I thank the Canadian government for having an official border so I don't have to cross over to go to the other. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a bad mark of honor. But I do remember one up front where ESPN had laid a lot of people off right before. I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2017. And I remember getting into heated maybe a little bit too strong, but certainly a an intense back and forth with one of their top PR people where I said, like, the optics on this are just horrific. You got, you're parading up all these people on stage. You're announcing all these re-signings while you're letting go so many core people, so many of the people who make up the DNA of the place. And this public relations person said something to the effect of like, do you want us to stop doing business? Like, this is just like, this is business. We're not happy that we're laying these people off, but we cannot stop business. 
Like, I get that on a, like a cognitive, non-emotional level. I still thought it sucked. I still tweeted stuff out, and that person was still pretty ticked off at me for a while. I'm sure we got past it. Obviously, we got past it. Um, so this all comes paying Pat McAfee and his group, right, multiple millions of dollars as you're laying off a lot of people. And we'll also have layoffs heading forward. I don't think it impacts anything when it comes to viewers, Ben, but it's not a good news cycle to sort of put out in front. How do you just, I um, just want to ask you sort of top down, like, how do you see that? Is it just the cost of doing business in, in a media environment in 2023? Yeah. I don't know if they're not supposed to announce the signing, right? Like, do you not do the signing because you're doing these layoffs? I think that's probably unfair to the company. It's up to us to sort of look at it and say, this is, you know, a little unseemly. This is tough for a lot of people. Um, but sort of the, the, I think like internally, like this, like the most important thing, like how do people like inside ESPN feel, um, and sort of in this world where you're going to pick five or six people to give them all the money in the world. And, you know, so everybody else, if you can get a better offer, take it, you know, sort of, I think you can understand the economics behind that. I sort of wonder what that does to the morale of the company and what it feels like to work there when there's you know, sort of a clear decision that there are, you know, these people that really, really matter. And we're just not sure about everybody else. And I think that, you know, might be one of the biggest questions about sort of this, you know, making these decisions and sort of this announcement as the layoffs. It's it's less an optics thing and more just like, how does it feel to work at ESPN? Do you feel good going to work at that place right now? I think morale is pretty low and, and people have had a hard time with this most recent round of layoffs and there's going to be another one. But um, you know, what is it, what does it feel like to be a rank and file person there? Um, and, and I think that there's probably people there who, who don't feel valued. And I think sort of when you think about the culture of a company and, um, you know, the vibe of a company, that's, that's where it hurts the most. Yeah. That's a smarter take than what I just said, Brian, how do you feel about that? I think that's actually probably a smarter way to look at it is like, uh, forget how it looks in like newsprint. How does it feel? Like if you're literally the person who's an operations person who walks, who, who, who travels to Bristol's campus every day and has to work there. Yeah, I totally agree with Ben. I think I'll say not only giving all these people the money, but as he said earlier, giving them this enormous amount of power and leeway to do whatever the hell they want. I mean, I think we, we could probably argue that the five or six most powerful on-camera people in ESPN history all work at the network right now. You know, I don't know totally how to compare that to like Chris Berman in the 90s, but they're certainly... On TV more, they certainly, you know, the idea of Stephen A devoting halftime segments to the Knicks and just ranting with like that never would have happened in all the ESPN. So not only do you have this sort of morale thing of, wow, this guy's making all the money, all the money's going one direction. You have this thing of just doing whatever they want while I'm working very much between the lines. Brian, I want to stick with you on this, Ben. Please follow uh, up after Brian. Um, I think you've laid this out really well, Brian, just in terms of like P Pataro's acquisition strategy is to tab who he and or the company believes are stars to give them a lot of money and to give them a lot of airtime and, and to cross-platform them as much as possible. You've just named pretty much all of them, Stephen A. Smith, Mike Greenberg, Scott Van Pelt in some manner, obviously Pat McAfee now. Um, then you have some very high-profile people who are sports specialists, like we'll tab Kirk uh, Herbstreet and like Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, like that. So I start to think to myself, um, can you, can, can you, is, are the days of being a 
$250,000 a year, $400,000 a year, like sports center generalist anchor type. Like, is that, is that done? Um, with this, whenever this current cycle of people's current contracts ends, like we've, you know, we've talked that the high end exists for sure still and will exist at ESPN. And there's obviously like a sort of a rank and file, like, uh, part of ESPN because everybody you know, need people to make the operations and make the, make the spaceship work. So what about the, what about what once upon a time was like the real upper, upper middle class? Like, does that exist anymore? Like, will the, I don't know, does Pataro give his charges be like, I want, I want a, a, a I want 527 year olds who are going to be my on air people now. You know what I mean? Cause I don't want to pay Hannah storm, $2 million. How do you think that's going to work? I hate to call it the middle class, but you know what I mean? I call it like the generalist. How's that going to work? You think? Well, I think if you look at the strategy of, of building the roster, you are doing this in a way to take over big chunks of programming. So that necessarily means that the kind of people you're talking about are not going to have as many slots to fill anymore. You're saying we want these people to do this. If you're saying Greeny's going to also host the NFL draft, then what are you saying? Well, we don't need Trey Wingo to host the NFL draft. Now, those aren't exactly connected the way that went down, but but essentially that's what you're saying, right? Stephen A is also going to be the analyst on the NBA draft or also do his alternate alternate telecast of the NBA playoffs. You are essentially doing these things hand in hand. It's not an accident that these are all happening, I think, at this exactly the same time. So yeah, I do. I do think that's a thing. And look, what we've heard about the ESPN layoffs is they're going to go to a lot of these generalist people, as you describe them, and say, here's the new contract. If they don't lay them off, where else are you going to go? You know, is there FS1 waiting out there? Is there local news waiting out there in the same way it used to be for you? What what's your move? And it's a it's a horrible situation because there's really not a move for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean your your move at least would depend, I think, on how you might feel about gambling interests. And would you go to a you know FanDuel TV or something like that? Uh, everybody has to make that choice. What about you, Ben? And if you want to extend it too into more of the um, the writing element of it, you know, once upon a time, ESPN had this plan, right, to essentially try to do what the Athletic did. You know, have writers in every major city. Um, they hired a lot of star writers. I mean, man, I was at SI when like uh, they procured Rick Riley. It was a gigantic like media story of John Walsh or whoever Skipper actually coming in and you know paying Rick Riley just a boatload of money, three million dollars. Yeah, three million dollars. Uh, not as much. Now. McAfee would laugh at that. He'd yeah. be like, "How dare you, three million? But like you know, like that world has changed. And yeah, you still have like Wright Thompson there and Seth Wickersham and Don Van Atta. These are incredible writers, but they don't have as many writers even as they used to. And once upon a time, like that was like for many, many people, man, I got to land at ESPN.com because I can make hundreds of thousands of dollars as a, you know, as a schlubby writer. This was like a, like a dream salary. So you can, you can follow Brian on the TV side, but I'd be curious too, like, They've they've changed like the the writing element of this as well, like in terms of like this star system. Well, it wasn't even like just to get to ESPN to get paid. It was just it was to get to ESPN to be safe. Like that was the safest place to go, and obviously, um, not true. And I'm, I guess there's there's two ways to look at it, right? Like you used to go to ESPN.com and you know page two that kind of stuff. It was the most interesting place to go in sports writing, and there's just not much of that if any um 
anymore. And that is sort of sad as, as somebody who consumes that content and, you know, you know, they, they, you know, there was the place where they did a story. What if Michael Vick was white and, and put a white Michael Vick, like on the cover of ESPN, the magazine, like imagine today's ESPN trying to, you know, run something like that in the midst of like the culture wars. Um, but I, I think the argument from ESPN, the argument from Jimmy Patero is like, I've run the numbers like that. That doesn't make us any money. And so do you lose something that, that, that you don't see on a spreadsheet when you, you lose all of that? Or is it harder to make an argument for something that's not in a spreadsheet in this moment in, in sort of where we are in media writ large? Um, but I, I think that's the argument that they, they would say is like, we, it, we don't necessarily dislike that, but, but we, we that's not how we make money as a company anymore. And that's, you know, you could, you can you can sort of argue with the the I think Brian's written about the soul of ESPN, um, but I, I'm sure the spreadsheet adds up. Yeah, in in you know I don't want to sort of like make this too overwrought, but I do think once upon a time like ESPN was not only a destination, but it felt like culturally like you had made it at this place that that was almost like a family or that you were part of this very special club. I think Brian's written this probably the best. And now it's just another sports media employer. Many times a well-paid one, obviously a very, very prestigious and prominent one, but it's it's different. It's you you can't approach it. Uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing you, Brian. You'd be naive to approach this now as somehow that you're going to now live in Connecticut for the next thirty years if you're starting there now, and this becomes your family and and you have this long career. Would you agree, Brian? Like in in many ways, it's just it's still a great job and many and certainly a destination job. But it's very different now in terms of people who are sort of early in their career at ESPN versus if you were early in your career at ESPN in 1985. I'd find that, yes. And I find that most prominent with people behind the scenes because I always thought they were the true believers in ESPN, much more so than the on-camera talent, who were always happy to entertain offers from uh, you know FS1, whoever was giving them a great deal. I will say, you know, the question, the very good question Ben raises, which is what do you lose when you cut away things like writing? Well, what you do lose is the opportunity to develop your own stars rather than having to go out on the market and pay 10 or $20 million a year for them. I mean, Mina Kimes came to the magazine. Pablo Torre came to the magazine. We can point to all these people. Jamel Hill started writing for ESPN.com. Like that's where they developed them. So if you don't have a development function, then you are going and buying free agents at the highest price possible. And it's, it's funny because we're talking about, yeah, like Pat McAfee brings these fans. And I think that's like, like, I think that's a good strategy by ESPN, but you can also go find and throwing out a name here, Colin Coward doing a show in Portland and be like, we're going to bring him in here and make him a big radio star and a television star. Like you can, there are other ways to do this, but what they've done is necessarily, and I think you're right, Patara would say, this is, this is the, this is the hand I'm playing, right? These are the economics that I have right now. But when you do that, you're constantly going to be like the nineties Yankees shopping on the market because you just don't have a farm system that's churning people out. I wonder if it's if it's also though part of right like that the the more and more on the network you, you just see fewer journalists right like it's less like let's go find somebody who's come up through journalism and let's go find you know I guess McAfee is somewhat of a hybrid but but often you're looking for you know an ex star an ex star athlete to come and you know talk and to sort of be the face of the network rather than somebody who came up through journalism 
you know, like they, they had Pablo Torre and, and, you know, just let him go. Right. Like they didn't see him as somebody like Pat McAfee, right. Or they would have not let him leave. Yeah. Per, I mean, personality, you know, the, the, the money now is being made by, for lack of a better word, personality driven people. Um, and that's, you know, McAfee, Stephen A., Scott Van Pelt, I would even sort of say that. Like, you're, you know, it's a it's a point of view, and it's people who they believe they can bring audience. They still do have, I, you know, I just, it's for anybody who's listening, they still, they still can make stars. I mean, you know, Emily Kaplan, let's say, is somebody who they, they put on their hockey coverage on air and has become a very, very prominent uh, on-air hockey person in addition to being starting as a writer. But you guys are right. Like, that's the the Pataro method has been, I'm going to buy um, Dave Winfield, right? <laughs> I'm going to bring that's him what in. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, if Shohai is a free agent, I'm going to look to sort of game change here. And so, um, and I wonder if, you know, he's, his background is very was very different than John Skipper's. You know, John Skipper has his literary background and like you know sensibilities and like Grantland and things like that were important to him. Pataro came up in the Disney system, right? He's a you know big stars and make money. And I think I guess like the other job. question with like McAfee, right? Is like I guess ESPN didn't give him the first giant deal, right? It was FanDuel. Like so, even if Pat McAfee had come up through ESPN, it seems like what he's done or like sort of what he's built, like the market even outside of ESPN and said, you are worth like tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. McAfee, like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think in, until the deal happens, no one is associating Pat McAfee with ESPN. And even after the deal happens, it right. will, they they brought him in. He's not an ESPN home guard. Right, here's the last, uh, you guys have been generous with your time. So I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do this last one. And I'll let you get out of here. Brian, I'll start with you. The um, McAfee, because of the freedom that he's had, has been able to have anybody in as a guest that he wants, right? Including competitors of ESPN. So um, Ian Rappaport is on that show a lot. I think he's even hosted that show. Clearly a big competitor of uh, Adam Schefter's. Sham Sharnaya works for The Athletic, obviously, stadium, wherever else. Obviously, very big competitor of Adrian Wojnarowski. The Pat has had people who are Fox Sports uh, staffers. He's probably, I, I don't watch Pat's show every day, but I'm going to guess he's had people from NBC on and CBS on. What's well, time time, Brian? This was a, the, ESPN did not want you to have anybody from any other place on. And so this is at least something I'm really going to be curious about. Um, I don't think they're going to ban, like, they're not going to say, Pat, you can't have X on, but I do wonder as the relationship grows, if they start to put a little pressure on that show, like, hey, why don't you bring Woj in for this breaking news and not Shams in for this breaking news? How do you think that's going to play? Because that's, I know it's kind of a sports nerd thing for us, but this is pretty interesting to me. Oh, well, that's what we're here for. So yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Well, the good news is insiders uh, all like each other and there's no competition between them. <laughs> so I don't think that'll be really a problem at all. That's, it's kind of a fascinating question. And it might be the way the show, show changes the most, actually. And by the way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN insiders are putting up their hands to be on McAfee because they realize what it can do for them. You know, like I'm sure Rap Sheet is like, man, I, this has been great for me, you know, especially as a personality outside of like a tweet or, you know, a piece of breaking NFL news. So I would always wonder if somebody's just like, you know what? I would like that slot. I would like to be a part of your podcast radio circus. 
What do you? But I agree with you. But do you think? Do you think if you had to guess today, how forceful is ESPN management using the a soft hand to say, "Hey, we'd really like you to use our insiders as opposed to the high profile insiders who compete against our high profile insiders." I think the one to one in the major sports would be a really tough sell to just put on that show regularly. It's absolutely. What about you, Ben? Because again, this is something again when I. Uh, um, when I saw this deal, and I was just thinking to myself, like, you gonna you gonna allow Sham you gonna allow Shams to like go twenty minutes on the biggest NBA deal? I find it extremely hard to believe that Shams Tarani will be a regular in that show. Come so on. do I, because <laughs> the insiders are the other most powerful people at ESPN that we're talking about. We left yeah. them off the list, and I but I, I agree with you, right? I don't think there's like a like a heavy handed hammer. I think it's sort of like. We hope Pat McAfee realizes that this is what he should do without having, you know, I think it's like he works here now. Like, we hope we don't have to have this conversation. We hope that he sort of sees the optics or sort of makes that decision on his own without having there, now again, to get a memo or a conversation. Yeah, there's not many of them, but there's a couple. And I do agree with this. I'm glad Brian brought this up because I was thinking this too. I think there are going to be tens, dozens of people who raise their hand who want to be on this show because it, it is going to be the hot show for ESPN for the first six to nine months. They're going to promote the shit out of it. And you as a personality or an on-air person, your bosses are going to be watching this. So this is a chance for you to perform, not just for an audience, but for your bosses. So Brian, I'm with you. I mean, I think McAfee's producer, bookers, whatever, they're 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 going to be getting emailed and inundated with ESPN requests. Somebody texted me and said, "Do we think AJ Hawk's going to be allowed to smoke on the show anymore? Because <laughs> then then they're like less smoking in Disney movies and movies overall now. So are we are we promoting <laughs> cigars by having AJ Hawk? I was like, I'm not. I I know that sounds really stupid, but I'm not totally sure there wouldn't be a note about that from. Disney HQ at some point. Yeah, I, th I, th I think we're all on this. It's like, honestly, the politics is not even an issue. It's just all this other stuff that they're going to have to figure out. And um, yeah, so I, I found the, like, the conversation about cursing kind of amusing because it's not really about cursing. Did you have something, Brian, you wanted to say? No, no, I'm, I'm with you. All right, Ben, anything else before, uh, before I let you go? You're, you're Washington Post staffer. Very valuable time. Maybe they want to inject some politics, some anti, some subliminally like anti-DeSantis messaging into his show. <laughs> Straight from the top. It'd be a good tip of the spear. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, yeah. It's assuming, uh, I think it might be your paper or the Times, whatever. Assuming the reporting is right uh, and DeSantis uh, officially announces. Um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see on uh, ESPN uh, um, you know, there'll probably be some banned words. You'll get like the email from Norby saying, here are the 12 words you're not allowed to say on our airways from now until November of 2024. Brian Curtis is an editor at large for the ringer. Check out his work there. Uh, Brian, how many you're, how, are you on, you're on multiple podcasts right now or just the, uh, just press box. Well, you know, I'm, I'm ready to serve as being a loyal ringer staffer on any podcast that will have me, but just on the press box regularly. But I, but occasionally you pop on Simmons I, and I some will. others, right? Yes, I answer the call. 
Do you ever do the like uh, entertainment? Like, is there a, like? Are you a fan of a certain show or something where like you'll ask Mallory Rubin, "Hey, I just want to talk about this Game of Thrones episode or something"? Or no, do you not go into that world? I always feel massively uh, outgunned on those things because those people know so much about those shows and unbelievable amount about the lore that I think I would you know go in there and just be completely lost. So I'd be scared. That is intimidating. They're like PhDs in all those shows. Sorry, yes. I get that. So catch Brian on. That podcast, Ben Strauss. Of course, you can find his work the Washington Post. Is there anything, Ben? Do you have a second uh, job or promotion that you want to? <laughs> no, nothing. No, I'm the opposite of multi-platform. I'm single. I'm mono-platform. Tell the uh, tell your boss of the Washington Post you want to uh, you want to start the daily for the Washington Post. Just what the world needs another sports media podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's already. I no kidding. Trust me on that. All right, uh, Brian Curtis, Ben Strauss, two writers who are always must-reading for those of us in this space. Uh, Brian, Ben, thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, that was fun. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Ben and Brian. That was great. I really, really enjoyed that, and I appreciate their insights. Uh, If you like this podcast, please uh, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. Last couple podcasts, we had Endeavor President and CEO Mark Shapiro. So if you're uh, interested in the WWE acquisition by Endeavor and what Endeavor does in the uh, media landscape, check that out. Did a NFL television schedule podcast with John Lewis of Sports Media Watch. Peter King was on this podcast on May 11th. Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network was on this podcast May 3rd. Tim Layden and Dana O'Neill uncovering horse racing on May 1st. Head to the archives. There should uh, be some stuff that... uh, you like. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to everybody at Odyssey and Cadence 13 for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.